what if you do this and it's the best decision? What if you leave that relationship and it's the best decision? What if you take that leap? And even if it doesn't work, it doesn't make it a failure because that's what was meant to happen anyway. Hi, my name is Ella McChrystal. Welcome to The New Mind. Now, today's guest is Jax Feely. Jax is going to tell us all about himself and we're going to talk all about Jax's experiences today. Now, even if you can't relate to elements of his story, you're going to know that there's parts of this story that really do resonate with you and your life. So please do listen and take a lot from this episode. So Jax, I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we're just going to explore your experiences and we'll see where it takes us. Yeah. So how would you like to introduce yourself today? Where would you like to start? Well, obviously my name is Jackson Feely. I am a 29 year old prison officer and I am about two and a half years into transitioning from female to male. I now work towards helping people find and live their own truth, whatever that might mean to them. So today, when we talk about your experiences, I think the most important thing for me with this podcast being about the mind and the body and the soul, and actually more about the brain, the body and the soul, but obviously that incorporates the mind. One of the things that I want the listeners to get from this is, you know, your strength, your resilience, the experiences that you've had that although you have had that trans experience are actually relatable for most of us, I think, because I'm sure within the story, and we're going to find out a lot more about that today, there's going to have been lots of hurdles that you've had to overcome, lots of traumas that I think most of us are going to be able to relate to even, like I said at the beginning, the story is different, but the traumas, you know, that we all experience as human beings and what we've got to transition through. I think there's something relatable there. So you say it's been two and a half years. Mm. I just want to go back a little bit and I know we don't want to hyper-focus on the trans issue really, but tell me about the decision, just the beginnings of that decision. And, and, and more importantly, that kind of decision when you make that decision as a prison officer, because that adds a bit <laughs> of a different flavor yeah, to the yeah. story. Um, I certainly never thought that I would be able to walk back into a prison. That's one thing. But it's difficult when people ask me to talk about the decision because it's kind of like the, the most common question I ever get when I have these conversations is, you know, how did you know, or have you always known? And there's, there's kind of two answers to the question because, so I only started to think about and accept that I needed to transition at approximately sort of 26 years old. But when I look back now at Jess as a little girl, you know, from the ages of, of four to four and five, I absolutely knew. Mm. I just didn't have the vocabulary to verbalize how I was feeling because there wasn't the visibility that there is now. And, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm working towards becoming the visibility that I needed so much because I can see Jess growing up and all the decisions I made and the, you know, the crazy things that I would do or think about and the crippling anxiety and everything that I experienced for 26 years, 100% that was why. Are there any, um, common aspects of that that you've discovered since because I know everyone's a you know an individual in their own right the reason I ask that is because obviously if anyone's listening or knows anyone they've got a similar experience to mm. be able to cultivate a healthy narrative around that so yeah. at five or six 
I would say for me, I definitely had no question. Hmm. So I suppose it's it's a similar answer, isn't it? Is that you definitely knew there was some kind of thought process. I definitely knew there was something. I just didn't know what it was. So I can explain it as, you know, there was always an element of anxiety. My mum describes it as well as there was a lot of, there was a lot of anxiety there as a child and a lot, a, a big feeling of uncomfortable. The sense of belonging within myself wasn't there. So although I was a really happy, bubbly child, you know, I, I had the most amazing childhood, the most amazing support system and family. There was something that not quite right about me. And it was like I was always searching for something, searching for something, but I couldn't find it, you know, and I'd make decisions like, you know, at 14, I decided I needed to move school. Yes. And there was, there was no reason for me to move school. You know, I was happy in my school. I was playing sport. I was, I had friends. I was, there was not a problem, but for me, it would just come over me that that's what needed to happen. And I'd spend months convincing my mum and dad. And eventually they let me move. And two months later, I wanted to go back because I just had this feeling of, I just need to go and start again and be the real me. Wow. I did not know what that was. Mm-hmm. I just needed to go and be the real me. And when I realized that when I moved school, everything's still exactly the same. I wanted to go back because then I'd just walked away from a whole support system. And I, I did that throughout, you know, just making these spontaneous decisions that I was constantly trying to fill a void. You know, I'll, I'll buy a car, that'll fill it. I'll buy a house, that'll keep yeah. me happy for six months. I'll change jobs, that'll keep me happy. I'll t- t- stop that relationship. I'll change friendship group. You know, it was a constant, I'm trying to fill this void. And it was from being very, very young. So would you say you were filling a void or running away from who you couldn't understand? I think it was a a deep sense of feeling like I needed to be the real me. Yeah. I just didn't know what that was. Yeah. You know, I was always this tomboy, you know, I wanted the tractor instead of the pram, you know, with all these like stereotypical sort of gender roles. You know, my mum would put me in a bridesmaid dress and then go mad because at the wedding she'd lift the dress up and I'd have my football shorts on, you know. It, I, I was very like, no, like this is, you know, <laughs> this is who I am. But I, I never sort of thought... I want to be a boy. Like that wasn't a a conscious thought for me. But when I look back now, and I must have done it from being very young to to being probably about 25, I used to say these affirmations in my mind, like over and over again. And I wouldn't even know I was doing it. Like I might say it 50 times before I went to bed or, you know, whatever. And I've only really sort of started to think about it recently because I've not done it in a few years. And I used to say, please be okay, everything. I would never change anything please don't anything bad happen. And I love being a girl. Wow. And I used to do this from being like, honestly, probably about five or six years old. And I look at it now and I think, oh my God, like you've still spent 20 years trying to convince yourself you was happy being a girl. I'm really interested in this because of the way that the body, the mind and the soul link. And you know, when we talk about affirmations, mm-hmm. I always say to people, let's say, for example, someone says, I want to lose weight. Mm. I'll always say, don't say, I want to lose weight because your brain may not believe that you're ready for that mm. yet because you've had this struggle for 20 years to lose weight or whatever. Say, I am working on becoming a he- healthier, happier version of myself. Mm. And I, I, you know, I'm working on being a slimmer, healthier, happier version of myself because that's much more relatable for your mm. whole system that's got all these stored emotions and memories in the mind body. So when you're saying that to yourself for all those years, was there a sense of anxiety, even like, like a willingness? A willingness to what? Like To create that belief rather yeah, than it, it being it, like, I'm it, happy being a girl. It's Oh no. Yeah. It was like, 
I think it was because I loved being, I loved who I was. Yeah, wow. I loved the person. I loved the soul. I loved my family. I loved everything. But the image of Jess yeah. did not align with me. Yeah. And I didn't know that at the time, but I was just crippled with this anxiety of something bad's going to happen or, you know, I know I, I love being Jess. I would never change her for anything. I would never change anything for anything. I would never, you know, trying to like go. It was like I was trying to say to like whoever's up there, don't change it because then I'll lose everything. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like this sense of panic. Like I've, yeah. I've never dived into it even as much as I'm doing now, but yeah. it was just, and I remember, and I used to go over and over and over and over and, you know, in bed or whatever. And it would just keep me up because I just, I would have to keep saying it and keep saying it. Because like, you weren't aligning it. Just in case I woke up and something and, I, I, you know, I was different or it was just, it was just a, a crippling sense of anxiety. And, and when I look at it now, I just think you was... Because I tried so hard to be Jess. Yeah. Like I tried for 27 years to be Jess because all I've ever wanted was to make my parents proud. And I thought that, you know, by throwing myself into the things that I was good at, like school or sport or things like that, I thought that making my parents proud would equal my happiness. Yeah. Wow. That's a big one. And it doesn't. No. And that was my goal right up until I made this decision. I'd made every decision. I just wanted to make them proud because I just thought that's the goal in life. Because I must have, I mustn't have believed that I could have happiness in a different way. Yeah. Because you'd spent your life telling yourself, mm. I am happy as a girl. Yeah. So I have to believe that because I've told myself, that I've invested in that affirmation yeah. that that has to be true. Because I didn't want to change anything else. And it was only when I transitioned that I realized that you have to lose a part of yourself to achieve yeah, you do. Of yourself that you need as well. Yeah, yeah. On that note then, because that's quite a powerful statement, have you lost Jess? There is parts of Jess that I had to say goodbye to, yeah, because as much as someone doesn't die, you have to grieve a person. Yeah. And that's for parents, family, you know, me. Mm -hmm. I've had to grieve parts of Jess and there are parts of Jess that, that I miss. You know, when I, when I first came out as, as trans, I know we've gone like way forward, but as when I first came out, I was probably in the worst mental state possible because myself included and everyone around me was naive to think you've done it now, you should be happy. Yeah. But what happened was I'd come out so I couldn't hide behind Jess anymore. I'd lost everything that was Jess's identity, which is this ex-military, strong, rugby-playing, lesbian woman, this mm. identity that I'd built up for for 26, 27 years, but I didn't know who Jax was yet. And I still looked very much like Jess. I'd just shaved my head. I hadn't started hormones. I still had boobs. You know, I, I was just in this awful in-between stage of feeling like a freak. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't have, I didn't have an identity because I just lost all that in a second. Yeah. But I'd, it took me a long time to build Jax. And what I've realized is I, I was never getting rid of Jess. I just couldn't have her be the image. Yeah. I'm exactly the same now. It's just natural happiness and I'm not exhausted from keeping the, the mask on. So many people hide behind a layer of something they've created. Yeah. This is why I really wanted this conversation because yours is a bit more of a, a physical, well, a lot more of a physical change that's happened, but, and, and a lot more of society's judgment that mm. comes with this change. But essentially most people, in fact, Sorry to waffle here, but there's a, there's actually a psychotherapy called IFS, which I use, which is internal family systems to keep it simple. It's parts work. Yeah. So we look at the different parts of a person. So instead of just being like, you are Jax mm. and that is it, 
we'll look at the inner critic, we'll look at the vulnerable parts, we'll look at the protector parts, the parts of you that are creating more problems for yourself. So a protector part, for example, could be a people pleaser. Yeah. Or it could be somebody that's angry. And, And all these different parts of us are going to come up at different points in our lives, in our day. Typical example is a very happy person who's maybe got some stress at home or whatever, gets into a car and becomes a very angry yeah, stressful person because all the stress that they're holding in from work or whatever and presenting the very happy person at home, they get into the car and the angry protector part comes out. So mm. the reason I reference that particular part of psychotherapy is for me, most people have the parts that are the protector parts that are in the front mm. and we don't let people see the vulnerable exiled parts of us that we're trying to hide because yeah. we're worried of being judged and, and all of that. So a lot of what you're saying there about Jess and Jax are just parts of who you are. Yeah. But because of society, you've had to declare yeah. more obviously, oh, that part's you know not there anymore because physically yeah. I'm going to change it. But yeah. you are still all of those parts that present as who you are now. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's you know, like I said to you before, you know, being trans is part of my experience. You yeah. know, I am a man of trans experience. That's not all that I am. You know, no. that's not, that's not my whole identity. You know, I, I'm, I'm so, so many other things. And a lot of people attach their identity to, to what they do as a job or, yes. you know, if they're married or, you know, yeah. where they live. And and I'm always thinking, well, no, who are you? Yeah. You know, like I'm Jack, I might be trans, but I'm emotionally intelligent you know i'm a bit daft uh, you know i'm very northern you know i like you pies. don't like olives i don't like olives you know it's <laughs> it's it's just part, i'm sorry it's just part of your experience yeah. and you know i absolutely love vulnerability and i and i live for that and i work a lot with the prisoners that i work with on that and i always say to them you know if if, if you're not willing to put yourself in a situation for it to go really bad you're not putting yourself in a situation for it to be absolutely amazing either exactly because you're numbing out in the middle somewhere yeah, and you're just sitting back and going well this is safe and this is comfortable and i don't have to be vulnerable i don't have to be seen it can't go wrong you know i don't want to go for that interview because they might say no but what if they say yeah yeah you know what if you do this and it's the best decision what if you leave that relationship and it's the best decision what if you take that leap and even if it doesn't work doesn't make it a failure because that's what was meant to happen anyway. That's so interesting because there you are, having gone through this as a prison officer in a prison with prisoners, mm-hmm. helping them to understand themselves. Yeah. And on that note, how did that happen <laughs> at work? <laughs> because I understand society is not always kind mm. in these situations. And I know a lot of people that have been in prison. And I would say a lot of those people are very, very good people that have got a front. Again, it's, you know, a part that's on display. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your experience with the prisoners, actually. So I've been a prison officer for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I joined the prison service, obviously, as Jess. I spent my first three years as a female prison officer. And I was that person, you know, I kept the front on at work and I went home and I was very angry and not, and not, mm. not okay. I reached a point where I became, so what, what happened was I had a conversation with someone. I'm trying to put my thoughts in order so I can get to the point. I had a conversation with someone about three years into my prison service career and said, I was talking about mental health and I said, yeah, oh, I used to struggle with my mental health, you know, like I did when I was in the military and when I came out and, and different things. And I said this really blase, but I said, you know, oh, I, I used to think that I wanted to be a boy. 
because a couple of years before I'd had a conversation with my mum when I'd come back off tour and I was really struggling with depression and stuff and I'd made the decision to come out of the military because of that. And I said to her one day, you know, is it because I want to be a boy? Like, is that what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Like, am I, is that what's going on? Like, is that why I'm so depressed? And, and she said to me in that moment, you know, like, no, you know, you, you're this beautiful athletic woman. Like everyone loves you. That's why, you know, you're so unique. You wouldn't be you if you weren't Jess, you know, she used to call me Miss Congeniality. Like she, you know, she's like, you're just you. And in that moment, that's what we sort of both believed. And, and that was the first time I'd ever brought it to the surface or thought about it. And we both kind of just, you know, I pushed it aside at that point. And my mum says now, you know, if, if I'd have turned around and said, yeah, Jess, you know, you should be a boy and you'd have gone, oh, my mum says it's all right, I'll do it. Mm. And then it was the wrong decision. She would never forgive herself. Like it had to come from me. Yes. You know, that's kind of what we both believed in that moment that it was just a fleeting thought. And then I joined the prison service and that was, that filled a void for, for two, two, three years. And then I had this conversation and said, you know, I, I used to think I wanted to be a man. And I said it in a way that, you know, I've dealt with that. Like that was just a fleeting thought. I used to struggle with my mental health and that was one of the things that popped up. And then since I had that conversation, it never went away. Mm-hmm. And it just stuck at the forefront of my mind. And it was just this thing that was like, I'm here now, you know, I'm not going. And what happened was I sort of delved into the world of YouTube. Yes. And went down that hole and found, you know, because I didn't even think it was a thing. I didn't think it was possible. I certainly didn't think I could do it in like mm-hmm. a town like Wigan as a prison officer, like never in a million years, but I just thought I'll just have a look on YouTube. And I went into this hall and, and found all these trans men, like documenting the journey and changing the bodies and living a life and being models and all these things. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And increasingly over time, I just became really jealous of these men, mm. like really jealous of like, I could be living like that, you know, but in my head, I was thinking I can never do that. And I spent about a year sort of living vicariously through YouTube and carrying on being a prison officer and just thinking I could never do that, but I'll live through you. Did you make any changes you know? though? Like, Yeah, I definitely changed. You know, I, I, I had an undercoat, you know, and my hair like started to get higher and I watch over time and I look at it now and I think, oh my God, you know, like <laughs> what, what was you doing? But, and it was obvious that that was happening and my, my friends see it now and they're like, how did we not know what you were doing? But um, <laughs> Was that a test though? Were you testing people's responses to your appearance changing? Yeah, maybe, you know, because I could get away with it because I was a gay woman. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of embracing the gay a bit more, you know, it was yeah. <laughs> stereotypically, so to speak. Yeah. So I spent like a year living in YouTube thinking I'll just live vicariously through YouTube and that'll keep me happy. You know, I'll never actually do it. Yeah. What happened was I got pulled in by uh, one of my governors and I hadn't realized this, but as I'd slowly become more accepting of who I really was, I'd become a really angry prison officer. Wow. Because I was just so angry with the world. Yes. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was suicidal. Like I was, I was, a prison is the most dangerous place in the world. Like if you want to start a fight or if you're in a bad place mentally, I was just ready to argue all the time. You know, I used to be a a strong, good, like well-respected prison officer who could, you could have that banter, but, you know, toe the line and I was firm, but fur and I had a military background and I, I loved it because I could have that, you know, you're everything to a prisoner, yeah. Mom, dad, therapist, nurse, fireman, whatever it is. Yeah. So I didn't realize it was happening, but I, I started to put myself in situations where I was putting myself and other people in danger. And 
you know, I could be on like the Fours landing, having a go at someone for having the flip flops on. And, you know, it's four officers to a hundred men. Like no one knew wow. where I was. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm there having an argument ready to fight. You know, I could have been getting my head caved in, but I look at that now and I think, Christ, you were suicidal. You wow, know, like yeah. you just didn't care. Yeah. And Did got, you feel like you didn't care? Sorry to put in there. Were you, you said that you didn't realize it, but was there any conscious thoughts of, people say this often with suicidal ideations. Mm. Oh, it, you know, if I got hit by a car today, so what? Was it, was there anything like that? No, I, I didn't feel like that. Like, because I loved a lot of my life yeah, and I just didn't know that yeah. I was like this. I, I just, I always knew that I had an element of anxiety and depression, but I just, I was just angry and I was just ready for a fight. And I just, I thought I was the only one doing my job right. You know, I thought I was the only one being a good prison officer and, and stopping it all going to shit. And wow. do you know what I mean? And Almost sort of in your own world, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, I'd always been feisty, but I was like out, sort of out of control really. And I got pulled in by, by my governor, Vicky, and, and we're, we're very good friends now, but at the time we like really butted heads and, and she pulled me in and she said, I've had quite a few complaints about you, you know, from staff and prisoners and stuff like this. And I'm thinking, what? Like a year ago, you were telling me how good I was at this job and wanting to do this and that. And she was like, I've got this one complaint. I want to read it out to you. So this complaint was off like six foot bloke, you know, twice the size of me off the wing that I worked on. And, and it said, if I could choose between being in a shark tank with a shark or being on the prison landing with Jess Feely, I'd pick the shark tank every time. OMG. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm sat there and I'm like, what? Like, are you taking this seriously? Like, I'm one woman. Wow. Like, you think I'm terrorizing 90 men? Like, what? I'm the only one doing my job, you know, da, 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 da. And I just went mental, like completely lost, like lost my rag, stormed out of her office, you know, and and she she takes the piss out of me now. She's like, you took the, you took the doors, hinges off and blah, blah, blah. And, and I just, I was fuming. I, I left the office and I went back to the wing. And when I got back, I just completely broke down. Yeah, Like I was just, I was just done because I realized at that point that I couldn't do this anymore. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. I couldn't keep up this mask. I, something has, something has got to give and it mattered to me as well. You know, I hated the fact that people didn't think I was good at my job anymore or people didn't, you know, I, everything just upset me. And I was just done at that point. I was like, you know what, I'm, I can't do this. Like, and it, it was in that moment where I was like, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm really interested in that bit because I think a lot of this is unconscious behaviour that you're talking mm. about because obviously 90, well, I say obviously, but for those people that don't know, 95% of our thinking is subconscious. So we're not conscious of it. And everything you've said there feels like you cultivated a space so that it was impossible mm. for you to carry on as Jess. So the anger, if mm. if not, obviously it was fueled by knowing that you probably were jealous of these guys that you were watching on YouTube, but it feels like you were making it impossible. Like you probably might have lost your job had you have carried on like that. Mm. So something was going to change anyway. Mm. And if you don't make a decision, yeah. you're going to lose everything. So I have to make this decision. Yeah. Is that ever been a thought before that you unconsciously were creating? Probably because I've always said to everyone my entire life, when it feels scary to jump, that's when you jump. Yes. Otherwise you stay in the same place your entire life. You mm. know, I've always been so motivated, like when I was in the military, when I was playing sport, whatever, all these things in my past. And I've always believed in that. Mm. And it had reached a point where I had to take my own advice. Yeah. And I knew at that point that 
I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live anymore. And if I didn't make this decision, I wasn't going to be here. Mm. So every decision from that point was, I do this or I die. I mean, that's powerful because it was obviously always there at the forefront that Mm. this is your kind of mantra. (laughs) And there you are being angry, making six foot, you know, Mm. hunks of men scared of you. (laughs) And you could lose your job because you are that scary. Well, in a prison. Apparently, yeah, yeah. And I decided at that point, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to tell my family, I'm going to have to try and do this. I mean, that's, that's, I suppose that answers that question is like, how did that decision come about? But I've got to say something because obviously I, I invited you on. And so I knew I wanted to just look at some more videos and I came across your, I think, original. Coming out video. Oh my God. Oh no, my voice. I, but I was, <laughs> I was crying watching that. Why? Cause you, <laughs> you laughing at me, crying at you. <laughs> Why did you watch that? <laughs> Have I just killed you inside a little bit? No, it's okay. I just forget it exists sometimes. Like I can't delete it, but it's, I just forget it exists. Because it's so powerful because you, because obviously I've spoken to you terrified. since then. You were terrified. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of have a bit of a, because I'm so interested in the brain and the mind and, and how people operate. I wanted to see yeah. the beginning yeah. of this journey for you. And obviously you've, you've shown photos of Jess yeah, yeah, yeah. as well as Jack's actually like just phenomenal looking human beings. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Both <you>. ways. Phenomenal. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful humans. Thank you. And so I'd seen obviously the photos because you you do share and I wanted to see you at that point because you've spoken about being anxious and depressed and I saw the inner child there like absolutely terrified and I just I just felt for anyone that has to go through anything Mm. like that where they're facing something having been through that myself by the way you know at 11 years old I had to tell a truth about being sexually abused by my dad and I always tell reference a part of the story, which is when that news had come out, I ran into the toilets at school because it happened at school when it came out. And I felt, uh, I I can't even, I've said a sense of doom and gloom or a black cloud. You can't even describe that fear that when you say terrified, unless you've experienced that level of being terrified, Mm. you just don't know what it, what it means. So I, I think I related to all children and all people that have had to do something that has scared them more than anything else ever mm. will. Because n- nothing... Oh my God. Like yeah. I would rather be on a plane to Iraq yeah. than come out as trans. And this is someone who's been in the military. And then walk back into a prison. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I say that. Yeah. Like because I've done it. But, yeah. You know, it's... It, oh. I can't believe you watched that video. No one's ever asked me about that before. I'm so sorry. No, I don't apologise. It's fine. I just forget that it exists. And It's know, powerful though, to and, be and honest, Jack. Yeah, and I don't talk about it. I don't think a lot of people see it, you know, because it's on like a separate YouTube channel and stuff. This is because of my curious psychotherapy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but it's good because I, I don't talk about it a lot. And that was, the, that was probably the worst point, you know, in this whole process. Because at that point, I'd, so I'd, I'd obviously, I'd come out to my, to my parents, you know, which was an experience yeah um, and I'd ran off I'd ran off to Brighton like I'm, I'm oh you disappeared I left yeah oh wow I was off sick from the prison service I sat my mum and dad down and my brother and sister and came out for the second time you know and they were all fine when it was gay you know 10 yeah. years prior because they saw it come in and yeah but you know telling someone that you're gonna transition from gender it's the thing that hits a parent more than anything is fear so you know? what what was that initial 
reaction? Um, so 10 years earlier when I sat down, I was terrified to tell them that I was gay at the time when I was, uh, when I was 20 years old, I was shitting myself then because I didn't know any gay women in Wigan. You know, it, right. it was, it was, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't something that was very well known, but they all sat down and, and my dad just went, you gay, aren't you? And I'm like crying my eyes out, like squeezing my sister's hand, you know, like, yeah, I'm gay. I'm sorry. you know. <laughs> and they kind of expected it. And we had, you know, a conversation about it and, and it, you know, that was all fine and they embraced it. And then obviously I sat them down again to, to sort of tell them this. And the only person who had a slight inkling was my mom from yeah. that, from that conversation um, years ago. But they sat down and my dad starts to guess again, doesn't he? You know, making himself laugh. So he sat down and he's like, you're pregnant. Mm. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, you're getting a puppy. I was like, no. <laughs> Fancy men again. I was like, no. <laughs> and then he just said it as a complete joke. You know, you're not having a sex change, are you? Oh my God. And really like joking. And I was just like, shit. <laughs> like... And I was just like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And the colour just drained from his face. You know, he was just so shocked. And my my brother was, was shocked and my sister was, you know, they were just all so shocked. And and my mum, obviously, you know, she had a, a slight idea, but even she said, you know, it was like being slapped across the face because she realised in that moment that, Jess had come to a point where if she doesn't do this, mm. she's not going to be here anymore. Mm. She knew that for years I'd thought about not being here anymore because of this or that. And, you know, like I said to you before, the, the main thing that, that hits a parent is fear. Yes. You know, how are you going to be treated? The abuse you're going to get, you know, trans people existence is questioned constantly within the media. Trans people, you know, get murdered and attacked mm. daily for just for being trans and, and the fear around the lack of education and, you know, not knowing how it works and how you're going to live and what about your job and what if this is the wrong decision? You've made so many decisions, stupid decisions right up until this point. And they gave birth to a daughter. Yeah. You know, they named that daughter. They had thoughts and dreams for that daughter that that's not just going to go away. You mm. know, they, they, they named her Jessica and they thought that she, he was going to walk her down the aisle and all these things. And suddenly that was going away. And for, for the first few months, we, we really butted heads, you know, me and my dad and he didn't want to let go of his little girl. And, you know, it, it came to a point where I, I, I had to say, you know, it's, it's either a dead daughter or a living son. Wow. You know, I can't, I can't do this. Like I'm not taking Jess away. I love Jess. Like I'm bringing her with me. I don't want you to, you know, I can only speak from my experience, but I don't want to delete her. I don't yeah. want, I'm not expecting you to delete anything or stop talking about it or take pictures down or anything. I don't even care if you call me she, her or Jess for the rest of my life. All I care about is that you try. Yeah. And that wow. you just accept who I am because I can't do this. I can't have Jess be the image. I just can't. And I don't want to die. So I just need you to try because oh this God. is just who I am. And that started us off on this journey of, you know, let's do this. And before that point, sorry, I, I'd ran off, you know, I was off sick from the prison service. I never thought I'd be able to go back because it was the most dangerous, volatile place to, to transition in. And I just moved to Brighton and I was just like, I'm going, you know, Brighton is so open. It's yeah. so like, you know, LGBT friendly. It's, you know, it's, I want to just go and live by the beach with my dogs and transition. And I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't want anyone to see me in that awkward 
in between stage of of still looking like Jess, but figuring out who Jax was. And hence the reason you don't like me mentioning that video. <laughs> you know, yeah, because and and that's when I made the video because I wanted to tell everybody. Yeah. In Wigan. Yeah. But not be there for everyone to go and look at me and assess me and watch all these tiny changes and all these things. And I did, I just felt like a complete freak. I was like, no one's going to want to be friends with me. No one's going to want to be in a relationship with me again. You know, what am I going to do? I just wanted to disappear and come back two years later looking like I do now. Wow. You know, I just, I didn't want to go through the journey. To take away family and everything Mm. else, just like you say, thinking about relationships, how people receive you that that don't, if you've moved to Brighton, nobody knows you. So how do you even navigate that when you're, transitioning from Jess to Jax and I, I know Brighton is super super yeah, inclusive so but yeah and and that's what I did and I made that video and let every let it all come out and it went you know viral through the prison service in second like I knew it would yeah. and all these things and so they suddenly knew why I was off sick and I knew that my mum and dad would be like getting questions off everybody and all this stuff and I just couldn't face it and and that was the point where I was like I was, I was, I was, that's when I first started having real suicidal thoughts because I just thought I'm meant to be happy. And you didn't feel it. And I, and I just, I'd ran away from my whole support system. You know, I'm sat there like making my dog's tea, like starting to panic because I've got a knife in my hand. And I'm thinking, why am I, why am I panicking that I've got a knife in my hand? You know, I'm, if, I, if something happens to me, no one's coming. Like I'm four hours away from home. Like this is ridiculous. And I was only there for about two months. So this was only like two months after I'd come out. I hadn't started hormones or anything. And it was at that point where I was like, you know what? Like I said I was going to do this or I die. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it proper. And How did that thought come? Because that's, that's one hell of a thought. Because I just, I've always believed in reminding yourself who you are. Like on my hand it says, remember who you are. Right. Because I've always prided myself on being this mentally resilient, Mm -hmm. motivated person who could do anything they put their mind to. Mm -hmm. And I'd lost all of that. Well, I thought I had, because I thought I'd lost everything that Jess was. Yeah. And when I made the decision to do this or I die, well, there's no point doing it half-heartedly. I don't do anything half-heartedly. If anything, I do it full steam ahead and cause chaos. (laughs) So why the hell am I not doing that now? I miss my friends. I miss my job. I miss my family. I miss my life. Like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And if it fails, I'm ready to die. So why the hell am I not just doing it? So obviously I'm, I moved back and, I, and I, I made the decision to go back to work. You know, I mean, I said this to you before, like my mom's first reaction to that was, what's going to stop five lads dragging you in a cell and, and abusing you and trying to prove you're still a woman and whatever yeah. else, because that risk is there as a prison officer anyway. But yeah as something that is disapproved of, it heightens that risk massive, massively. And Did you feel that fear? Did, were you scared course, that would happen? Yeah, of course. But I had faith that I want to do this and take everyone on the journey with me. I've got to say this, by the way, and I know we've discussed it, but I've got to kind of just put this in a neat line <laughs> because this cannot be ignored. Do you transition as a prison officer with a genuine and probably realistic fear that you could be very badly assaulted in many different ways mm. just because you're going to work mm. at a time when you have established that this is probably a lot harder than you could have ever even imagined. Mm. And as you say there, do or die kind of thing, but still knowing that just by going to work, mm. you're facing pretty much a risk of being so badly injured that you could 
end up dead anyway. Yeah. Like that's a whole nother level of transitioning mm. because I, I don't, I mean, it's your life. So for you, I know we spoke earlier before we started to record about how telling a story, you can sort of disassociate a little mm. bit and it just becomes a script almost not, uh, uh, that sounds harsh, but yeah, you get so yeah, used yeah, to telling yeah. your story, but I visited someone, a friend of mine in prison once, you know, it's, it's etiquette to go and buy the chocolate bar or the cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me about half an hour to get the courage to walk down to the little tuck shop <laughs> because you have to walk past all the prisoners. And I was like, you know how long it started? It took me to start this podcast going, right, yeah. you can do this. <laughs> Times that by about 400. Mm. It took me forever just to walk down. So I'm thinking of the fear that I had just tottering down to the tuck shop in the visiting area where there's loads of security guards or prison officers, sorry. And you have to go there as your job Mm. in this situation. So I just want to highlight that 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 is like being thrown in a shank of tarts. A shank of tarts? Or even a tank of sharks. It's a bit more Mia. That's what she does. <laughs> it's an age thing. I'm absolutely positive. Past 40, uh, this is what I'm calling me like. Fax Julie next. <laughs> it's a great name. It's a great name. Um, I love it. No, so I just want to highlight that because I, I, I can't even begin to imagine yeah. the fear that you have managed to. But again, I keep, I'm going to keep saying this throughout this whole episode. This isn't about, although we're talking quite a lot about the journey, mm. about being trans or having a trans experience. It's about overcoming yeah. fear, yeah. overcoming not just fear, but being terrified of who you are going to be. Yeah. Taking away the mask, yeah. revealing all the parts of yourself that you've kept to yourself and having to literally in probably one of the most dangerous places face the judgment yeah. of people that might want to hurt you. Yeah. And and that's why I talk so much about vulnerability now, because mm-hmm. the power of that is unbelievable because, you know, going back to work saved my life. Wow. You know, so if I hadn't have put myself in the situation for it to go really bad, I didn't put myself in the position for it to be amazing. And, you know, look where I am now, like yeah. the, this job saved my life and I'm saving others. Yeah. So you know, making that decision was terrifying, but I knew that I had the ability, although I was terrified and I didn't know if I could still be how the reaction was going to be, or if I could still be the same prison officer, you know, if I could still be this person, I knew I had the ability to help people change their life. And I went into that assuring people that staff and prisoners that it's okay to make mistakes Mm. and I'm still feeling and Mm. I don't want you to avoid me. I don't want you to avoid this conversation. Like it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to ask me questions as long as it's not malicious. Like I'm just going to take everyone on this journey with me. We're all going to learn and we're just going to see what happens because I didn't have a clue how to navigate this before I had to embark on this journey. So how can I expect anyone else to know what to do? At that point, you've said this to all of the, you know, the staff, the prisoners, One of the first things you can remember, let's focus on the prisoners for now, hearing from a prisoner that was like reassuring you, I know I've made the right decision because. So I went back, obviously a a lot of the prisoners knew me. Mm. So they knew Miss Feely. Mm. I still looked very much like that. You know, Mm. it was two months after coming out. I hadn't started hormones. I'd shaved my head. I looked like I did on that video. You know, I looked more feminine with a shaved head than I did my entire life with long hair and heels where people asked me if I was a bloke in pubs. Yeah. You know, I looked more (laughs) feminine then because you could just see my face. And I look back now and I think, 
I thought I looked dead masculine then, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, I went back and obviously initially it was with the staff and developing those relationships and stuff. But I went back to work on the unit that I, that I work on now that I worked on before, which is, I've obviously told you before, but it's called a psychologically informed planned environment. Yeah. So we work with men who are very much stuck in the system, you know, have, have struggled with elements of personality disorder, struggled to manage their emotions, maintain the relationships, you know, understand their own trauma, why they act the way they do, you know, why they can't do certain things or understand certain things, communicate effectively, all these things. And we sit down and we do groups with them and, and stuff like that. And when I went back onto that unit, initially it was just sort of like allowing people to just ask me about it, which they would every now and again, you know, when they felt comfortable or they realized that I would joke about things, you know, like I'd be shouting at a prisoner and my voice would be hitting the roof when I was on hormones. And yeah. I, you know, I'd be having, I'd be making a joke about it. But the first major thing was I, I sat down in one of these groups and I spoke to them about being suicidal and about vulnerability and about how you have to do the difficult things to get where you want to be in life. And you have to somehow find the courage to do the terrifying things because people are brought up to believe that being vulnerable is weak and being mm. courageous is strong. Yeah. And you know, you know, the mm. definition of vulnerability is risk, uncertainty or emotional exposure. Mm. And there's not a single act of courage that you can carry out without going through risk, uncertainty or emotional exposure. So true. And I would sit there and talk to them about all of this. And they were saying things to me like, you're going to change my life. You know, you're going to make me a better man when I get out of prison to my nieces and nephews. Or if I hadn't have met you, I would never have agreed with it. I would never have understood it. And if you can be suicidal and go through your own journey and transition and walk back through a prison gate and come here and tell all of us about it. Try and help us understand, help us with our own struggles whilst on your own journey. Then it started to really give them the belief and the courage to change their own life and realize that it's not too late Yeah, and to not be ashamed of who you are. Mm. And it started to really have a massive impact and the respect that was developed between me and them was unbelievable because they told me that I'd made them realize that officers were human too and that we have lives outside of those gates and I can't expect you to sit here in a group and be vulnerable and not do it myself and if I can help you figure out that you can you know get over this drug addiction or learn how to accept criticism and change your own life then I'm going to do that. And I'll tell you what I've been through because they knew that I weren't bullshitting. Yes. You know, they knew that I, that it was real and they knew that I wasn't just sitting there preaching going, you've got to do the hard shit because they were watching me go through it. And they've watched me from day one in the, la on the last two and a half years go through that. And about a year down the line, we put on a transgender awareness event in the prison. The lads on the unit, there was only, there's only 10 of them, but they were the only prisoners allowed to be involved sort of thing in this because it was like a, an event for staff and yeah. to say thank you and different things. And I made a documentary with like my family and my colleagues and my governors and things like that, basically explaining the impact of, of someone transitioning because it doesn't just affect me, it affects everyone around me. Yeah. And I had t-shirts made and I had three t-shirts made in the color of the trans flag, like blue, white and pink. And they all had a butterfly on the front. And on the back, they all had uh, quotes that I live by. So one of them had, remember who you are. One of them had, be unapologetically you. And another one had, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. And one of the one of the men came up to me and he had a pink one on. And he said to me, you know what, 
I'm there. And there was about 150 people at this event, like from different establishments and all the staff from ours and stuff. And he says to me, um, I feel like I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to wear a jumper under my t-shirt. So I'm thinking, right, it's boiling up there, you know, like why? And he, he said, um, well, in fact, I'll give you a bit of background on him first. Years ago, they used to give out what's called an IPP sentence, which is basically a life sentence for people who were a bit of a nuisance. Right. So it's, it's a, they don't do it anymore because it just gives people no hope whatsoever. Like a three strikes and you're out kind of rule in America. Uh, yeah. So like yeah. if they were like a repeat offender yeah. and they were a bit of, you know, then they might, so they might get sentenced to one year, but it's a life sentence. You're on license forever. So you have to pass a parole board just to get out of prison. Right. So for these people who are, you know, drug addicts or like never dealt with the trauma or whatever, and the, the repeat offenders for petty crime, and then they've, they've been given an IPP sentence, they get stuck in prison because they get stuck in the system because they can't, they can't manage their own emotions and anything yeah. enough to, to either behave or, or get through prison to pass a parole board, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy is someone who received an IPP sentence and he got sentenced to two years and he's been in for 16. Bloody hell. Because he's never been able to pass a parole board. And he's worked with me for the, for the last two years and stuff. And, and he came up to me on that morning and said he was going to wear a jumper. And when I asked him why, he said, well, I've, I've never left the wing in 16 years without long sleeves on because he's got quite horrendous self-arm scars on oh. his arms and stuff. And he was really ashamed of them. And, uh, and I said to him, what does it say on the back of that T-shirt? And he says, be unapologetically you. I said, so what do we always talk about? He said, that's part of your journey. Like, that's part of who you are. Yes. Those scars are proof that you made it through. Yes. Like, don't you dare hide a part of who you, were, who you are. Like, you go up there and you show everyone how far you've come. Mm. Because look at you now, you've completely changed your life. You're drug-free, you're violence-free. You've got a hell of a lot of respect for me and the staff. You know, you, you, you've, you've turned into the man that you were supposed to be. You go up there and you tell everyone. Oh my God, she's going to cry. <laughs> and he did. And he, and he went up and he made a speech in front of 150 people, my mum being one of them, and spoke about how I'd changed his life and how much I'd inspired him and told everyone about his scars and that he didn't want to come up there and that he's realised that it's part of his journey and it's part of who he is and he wants to inspire other people to change their life. I mean, that, it, that, that alone yeah. must have been so profoundly life-changing for you that. Mm. He tells me all the time, he's like, you've no idea how much you've changed my life. Do you, do you resonate with that though? Because that's actually quite a difficult thing to accept, I think, that although you know that what you're doing is actually yeah. your experience is, is really paying it forward and, and meant to be for something greater than you could ever really mm. put into words, when someone actually says to you, you've literally changed yeah. my life, because you're quite a humble human, I imagine <laughs> you just go, oh, all right, thanks. Yeah, 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 I am, I am. And that's why I'm so passionate about the fact that it's not about gender. No, it's not. It's about life. Yes. You know, we have all got to go through these transitions, whether it's drug addict to not, prison to not, military to not, yes. gender to gender, you know, relationship, job, locate, whatever it is. We've all got to go through these transitions, however big or small. It's just metamorphosis, isn't it? the butterfly on your neck it's just going from the caterpillar to yeah, the butterfly exactly, and you might yeah. do that 12 times in one lifetime exactly and that it's it's a that's what it is it's constant and you have to find the courage to live your truth yes. whatever that means to you because if you're not all completely authentic in yourself mm. nothing else in your life is 100% authentic 
So I, I couldn't agree more. And on the self-harm story, I've spoken openly about that myself. And I get a lot of um, teenage girls that are exploring different ways of uh, expressing themselves and using maladaptive coping styles like self-harm. And I did that for many, many years yeah. and spent a long time with my arms turned down because they would be on the forearms there. And actually, I do resonate with that story so much because it is something that people carry mm. shame about because, you know, you are labelled crazy if you're a self-harmer. You're labelled angry if you're hitting out at other people. No one says, let me ask what's going on for you. And so for him to have that conversation with you and you allowed him to free himself yeah. from that BS that he's somehow got to be ashamed of his story. Yeah. Actually, when when I always, when, when a young person says to me, this is what I'm doing, I say, look, I'm not going to show you because you don't need to see them. I used to do that too. I spent a long, long time being really ashamed of it and thinking, oh, what will people think? And now I'll just tell them, yeah, I used to self-harm quite badly, but you know, here I am mm. and I'm healthy and happy and I'm not triggered by your story because I did the work and I'm going to help you do that too. And yeah. that's exactly what you're giving people, yeah. but not just in relation to a trans experience. You're giving it to people that you do, and you don't have to be this person. Like this is just naturally who you are. Yeah, You could be angry still if you wanted to be. And so on that note, with being authentic and being vulnerable, which I think is the most beautiful thing that anyone can ever be, by the way. But we, on that note, you know, those people that do still have like a massive issue with either race, sexuality, gender, whatever it is, what's your opinion on that? You know, it doesn't have to be in relation to your experience per se, but just that type of person that just thinks that they own the world and they get to decide who should be who. What's your opinion? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> to be honest, so I don't, I don't entertain negativity sort of within my space now. You know, I think, I think once you find peace in yourself, mm. you know, you kind of just stop really caring and really figure, realize that there is a problem within them though. You yeah. know, they're struggling with something. And a lot of, a lot of the time, I think trans people are a trigger for people who, have not got the courage to live their truth. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're trans or they're no. gay or whatever. It mm. means that it's, you know, they may they might have a fear of of leaving the marriage or, yeah. you know, leaving the job or, you know, starting a new life and doing mm. the things that they actually know would actually make them happy. But the risk is too big for them to take in, in sort of in their world. And I think that that you know, not everybody, but for some people, I think that that's some, you know, that's a massive trigger. And, mm. you, you know, I said to you earlier, I don't get abuse in prison, but on TikTok, I get told to kill myself on a daily basis because people think that it's okay to just sit in the seats and throw shit at the people playing the game because they're too frightened to do it themselves. But, you know, like I said to you before, if you're not out there doing what terrifies you, I have absolutely no interest in what you've got to say. Which is just phenomenal. If you don't love me and you don't know me and you've not got my best interests at heart, I, I don't care. If yeah. my mum tells me I'm being an asshole, then fair enough, I'll listen. But if you tell me I'm being an asshole, that's your opinion. <laughs> that's a you problem. Like I'm not, I'm not bothered, but I don't tend to sort of let myself dive into it too much because mm. I do what I do because some people will listen to those people who tell them to kill themselves. Yes, you're right. And there needs to be people who, visibility is the very thing that, that reassures people that their life is worth living. Yes. So if people can't see themselves in the media, on screen, in magazines, on TikTok, whatever, 
they don't, but that people are choosing suicide instead of being themselves. And if people can see me on at the front of a magazine or on TikTok and know that you can have a family and a great relationship with your siblings and a career and a life and be happy, then they will realize that it's okay and that you don't have to listen to the idiots who have absolutely no idea what living authentically means. The interesting thing about that is, and, and I totally, totally agree, by the way, and I think I always feel like the people that are being authentic are like magnets and you just want to be near yeah, them. People can feel it. It's yeah, energy. They, can. Yeah. they can. And they can feel it through, even so, through social media. Yeah. You can see who the genuine people are. But what I'm about to say uh, refers more to the, and, and with the work that you do with the prisoners, the sort of cognitive biases that we hold about ourselves and about other mm. people as well. And something that you've said there about visibility being so important, obviously it's a massive part of your journey because you went down the YouTube route and and saw people that are actually living a life mm. that you could go, oh, it's what I want. You know, you could really resonate with that. But there's this thing where if we repeat something over and over again, like you did, you know, I want to be, I want to be Jess as, you know, you part of your affirmation, I want to be a girl. I'm happy being a girl. We do actually for some time at least mm. start to believe that's true. Yeah, definitely. And so then if you are somebody that that has done that and has had that all around you and say they're in a position like you were where you had that thought, do I, do I just want to be a boy? Yeah. What would you say to anyone that's listening, that's got a, a friend or a family member in that position, or if they are themselves listening because they are going through that, what would you say is the best way to keep pushing through it? Because there's not one piece of advice you could give somebody. No, yeah, of course not. And and I can only speak from my experience. You know, my experience is very different to every other trans person. You know, it's it's very sort of unique and individual to that person. But in my experience, in terms of finding the courage to make a change, mm. you have to weigh up. Am I willing to not do this and regret it? Yeah. Or am I willing to do this and go through the difficult things for the long-term satisfaction and what's going to make me happy in the long run because Mm -hmm. I have to do the hard things now. You have to repeatedly look yourself in the mirror and tear yourself apart and go, why am I acting like this? What is it? What is the pain point? You know, if you suppress something, it's only going to come out in a different way. So, you know, you keep suppressing it. You're going to be angry. You're going to ruin your relationships. You might lose your job. You might do something else. It's only going to come out in a different way. On that note, because that's really interesting, because there'll be some people, and I know this, I talk about this a lot, the brain-body link, there'll be some people that won't be angry, they won't be showing it, Mm. they will be suppressing it, and they'll be feeling it. Mm. So I will talk a lot about the inflammatory response when we're constantly in fight or flight, or if we're constantly in the cortisol response. So if you're not living your authentic self, that Mm. will be very, very stressful as you know. And that means you're constantly releasing the cortisol more so than you would if you were in a healthy state of mind. So your body will start to become inflamed because cortisol is acidic. Mm. So your body gets inflamed and you might have gut issues or you might have pain in your body. Like some people will talk about fibromyalgia. They've got these pain spots all over their body or headaches or migraines or fatigue. Did you go through anything like that? Or were you more getting out through the anger, do you think? I don't think so. I used to always get headache. I used to get, I used to get, I mean, I still do now, but I get, I used to get anxious and headache and Mm. like just really like just want to sleep. Yeah. 
And I think that it's mentally exhausting trying to keep a mask on. Yes. I would be exhausted and angry after work because I just spent 12 hours being Jess. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, people see me and they go, well, you're exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, but it's natural now. And I've got all this more headspace because my head was just clogged up. And now I'm exactly the same, but it's natural happiness. I'm not trying. Yeah. I'm not exhausted because I'm not trying to keep that up. I'm just naturally that way. You know, so it's, it's, it, it does, it, it does come out physically, you know, when I do all of this stuff with the prisoners and stuff like that, it comes out physically for me because I, I'm so sort of in tune with them and what, yeah. it, I'm exhausted after like a two hour conversation because I'm, I like to be so present and, yes. you know, sort of help them in whatever way I can or whatever conversation I'm having. I like to be present in that. So it will exhaust me afterwards. You have to develop the ability to to look yourself in the mirror and, and sort of like rip you, rip yourself apart sort of thing. Yeah. And repeatedly, you know, you can't just do it once and then think, well, I'm the finished article. Like you have to do that like again and check yourself and think, am I going down the right path? Am I happy? What do I really want? What are my values? What aligns with me? You know, who have I got in my life? Who have I got around me? Like all this stuff that, that affects you and what you want out of your life and, you know, what you want for your future. You've got to be able to go, I have to... I have to figure out that what that is and face it and stop dealing with all this surface level shit. So with that being said, because that's a lot to work out when other people aren't perhaps on side with you or, or struggling. Mm. Doesn't mean they're not on your side, but they're struggling with it. And you referenced your dad earlier. So whilst you're working out your values and who you are and everything else, he's going through, I guess, somewhat of a grief mm. process for, as you say, he didn't want to let go of his little girl. Tell me about your relationship with your dad now, because that must have been, well, with your mum and dad, because you said earlier about, I just wanted to make them proud. And yeah. then you, you, you know, to sew that piece of the puzzle together, you want to make them proud. That's all you care about. You think it's going to yeah. make you happy. You realize, actually, this is not going to yeah. make me happy. I have to be yeah. authentic. By being authentic, the, the reaction is not the one of pride immediately, more of fear, as you mm. say. So for someone who has spent their whole life banking on this, mm. needing it and, and really focusing on it, that must have been like a moment of regret, maybe like not regret so much as I wish I hadn't done this, but regret that now you've all got to come on this journey with me. I tried to go into it with the most open mind and understanding as possible because for that reason, you know, transitioning doesn't just affect me. It affects everyone around yeah, me. Yeah. And I think you have to give people that time and that space to learn and understand and figure it all out and go through that grieving process. You know, I've had to grieve Jess so they, and I think by doing that, it's allowed them to, you know, come on this journey and, you know, me tell them everything I'm doing. I'm doing this because of this or this has this impact and blah, blah, blah. And you know, my dad's first initial reaction was, well, we're going to have to leave Wigan. Wow. I'm going to end up punching everybody. Yeah, because he's going to fight. Because him and my brother thought that I was just going to get a world of abuse. Like they were never angry at me for being me. They were terrified of how I was going to be treated in this world because, you know, people hear the word transgender and immediately they just think man in a dress. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because of years and years of clumsy representation in the media of it's always the prostitute gets murdered. It's always the visible man in a dress, who's, mm. you know, and throughout the years of that, that is what they have been brought up with. That is what, you know, they know the abuse that I'm going to get. And it was just, it was just crippled with fear and, and they've been through every emotion going 
but over this time and me including them and me not just saying accept it me sort of taking it into consideration and I think a lot of a lot of you know it's it's the responsibility of your support system as well as the person yeah. going through that transition because as much as you need them to learn and understand they need you to to learn and understand you know what it what it what effect it has on them and you know in generations to come that might not be the case but right now that's what it is and you have to sort of allow people to go through that and you know two years later my dad he came home to me a couple of months ago and he just started a new job as the manager at this company and he'd only been there a few weeks and uh he's, he's quite he's a man of few words in terms of you know me transitioning and stuff it doesn't say a massive amount but he um he came home one day and told me this story and he'd he was only two weeks into this job and he'd heard a conversation between I think some of the women in the, in the, the admin bit. And I think this woman was in her sixties and she wasn't being malicious, but they were having a conversation about gender. And this woman was saying, you know, well, if, I think if you're born this way, that's what you are and et cetera. And my dad had heard, was overheard this conversation and he was thinking, right. Mm-hmm. So he'd gone into like one of the HR women who knew him and knew a bit about like, me and his story and stuff and said to her you know like what do I do here like if I go and tell her that now she's going to want the floor to swallow her up true yeah like I don't want to do that and the the HR lady was like it's all right I'll tell her you know and and he went up to her later on in the day and was like you're all right now love and this woman just burst into tears you know was absolutely mortified and was like I'm so sorry Terry like I didn't mean it you know I'm sorry and and he was he's watched how I've dealt with this throughout the whole two years and he's gone through a journey himself and he was like, it's okay. You know, like, don't, like, don't worry. Just, just be a bit mindful when you're speaking, you know, Mm -hmm. I could have been sat there and she wouldn't have known and go on his podcast and go on his YouTube and do this and do that. And, and he came home and said this to me and I was like, have you any idea what you've just done? That's incredible. And he was just like, what? And I was like, you've just changed the mindset. Mm. And by changing one, you change a hundred yeah. because she'll go, she'll take that home and she'll tell someone else or it would have affected her. You've hit her emotion. And as soon as you do that, you make people realize that it could happen to them at any point because people don't look into this until it affects their life. And by just having that conversation and dealing with it in the right way, yes, because you knew she weren't being malicious, you've invited a safe space for her to go, oh my God. And you've probably just changed her mindset and a lot of other people. That leads me to a, a point that I'm curious about, actually, is that when I think Tony Robbins famously says something like, you know, it's a negative positive and I don't fully agree with it, but I also adopt it at the same time. Like when you want to be successful, mm. who are you trying to prove it to? And, you know, what's your drive for that success? What's your drive for what you do? What's your why and all that? We know all of that. But to expand on that, Something I'm really interested in, particularly with you, is who do you really want to hear you? Is it a vast array of people or is there like a, because you mentioned the support system there being so important, is it more that you're talking to everybody, be it that you're a friend of someone, a family member, a colleague, are you really having a much broader conversation? I mean, we are right now, but generally day to day, is that really what you're hoping to achieve? So it's not just for the, you know, the kid that's, doubting who they are and yeah. how to go it's it's because that support system as you say in any aspect of anyone's yeah. life is the most fundamental part of whether we have the juice to keep going isn't it yeah 100 percent. yeah I, I definitely think i'm trying to speak to everyone 
because that's what I believe. Like I believe that, that people don't, one of the most common phrases said on, on, on people's deathbed, which nurses and curers have reported is I wish I'd have lived a life more true to myself. Wow. I mean, that's sad. Because it's scary. People don't do things because of other people's opinions or because of what society says, or because this is going to be difficult, you know, and I, I want to live, I want this easy life. But if you don't do the hard things now, you can't have an easy life later. No. If you just do all the easy things now, you're going to, it's not going to be great for you later because you have to go through those difficult things, whatever it, whatever it is, whatever it means. And I say to, you know, my, my mum and dad and, and parents and employers and whoever, all anybody needs in the home, in a job, in whatever, is to feel safe and yeah. accepted. That's all you need. It's not about businesses putting policies in. It's not about trying to force your child to be okay, to be trans or whatever. It's just about allowing them to be themselves. And if you can create the safe space where they feel okay to go, I feel like this today. I want to do this. I feel like dressing like this. I can come to you about this conversation. I feel like this has happened and embed those values in your family or in your business or whatever, so that the people who are not very nice or are not okay with it stand out like a sore thumb yeah. because everybody else will turn around and go, we're not like that yet. And so we need role models actually. Like, you know, I talk about mental health in, in terms of CEOs quite a lot because CEOs mm. are in quite an isolated position in the fact that they are the top of the pyramid, if you like. Yeah. Not that I'm saying they're pyramid schemes, but you know what I mean? So they're the top of the castle. And actually at that position, there's quite a lot of stigma around how am I going to trust you to, you know, and give you this job of CEO to run this company if you've got mental health problems because you're mm. not going to have the, you know, the juice to keep going. You're not going to have that strength to push through whatever comes your way. So if a CEO is willing to talk about mental health, if a CEO is willing to talk about making a safe space for everybody and is willing to say, I'm going to highlight this, mm. you know, if, if I'm going to call you out, if you're somebody that makes somebody else feel unsafe, yeah. you will be called out. What would you say is the biggest challenge there? Because I feel very strongly as a small business owner that I would definitely do that. Mm. I would definitely call out that behavior and I would definitely say, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you say about me. If you are being prejudiced in any way, shape or form, you're not welcome. Mm. But if you have got 2000 people and this business is going to lose business because mm. of media narrative and all of that stuff, what do you think the biggest challenge is for you and for me and for society in making sure that we're not just using campaigns and, mm. you know, oh, here's a, you know, LGBTQI campaign for this month, Pride Awareness or whatever. How do we actually go about role modelling that correctly so that it is actually a safe place and not just a buzzword? I think the first step is to allow people, you know, get people in, whether that's me or somebody else yeah. to tell a real story in the right way. Because if you don't hit someone's emotion, they're not interested. Yes. If I go and do a talk, I'll often say, don't tell them what it's about. Yeah. Because you say, you say to someone, this is about trans, you've lost half the room. Yeah. Because they're not interested. It's not affected their life. They're not bothered. They've also got a prejudice. They think. Also they think, yeah. So if you can tell people the story and humanize it and make them realize that it isn't just about that topic, you know, diversity and inclusion or, or whatever it is, it's about this can happen to anyone. You know, mm. you've got to be prepared for that. And mm. these people are just normal and they just want to feel human. You mentioned earlier that you were in the military as well. Mm. And so 
I think obviously a big part of your coping mechanism is probably about discipline. I wanted to touch on that a little bit. You hear this spoken about a lot on various different podcasts, why discipline is so important. Mm. And I think from most of your story, actually, there are moments where that discipline kicks back in. Yeah. You know, I said to you about what was that thing that made you keep going? And I think it's just that installation early on of this discipline, be it through sport, be it through the military, be it through. So would you agree that actually finding a discipline early on in life, whether it be sport, whether it be, you know, even creatively, I suppose, something that, you know, I get up because I want to do this or I get up because I believe this is the right thing for yeah, me to do. I think, I think people start to deteriorate when they lose a sense of worth and they mm. lose a sense of, of purpose. And I think, you know, whether for me, whether that's been sport or the military or the prison service or whatever, I've always had a massive sense of pride in uniform. You know, I, for me, I always struggled figuring out what to wear because I was so dysphoric. So, you know, I could finish work at dinner time, but if I stayed in my uniform, I could get loads done. Yeah. But going out of uniform, I just become no one. And I'm like, my head would fall off because I just thought, wow. And obviously within like sport or the military, you know, you eat then, you wear this, you do this now, you know, it's, it's very, people need structure, you know, even from, because from being four years old, people go to school and they go, right, you're here at this time. This is when you eat. This is what yeah, you were. Yeah. So as soon as people leave school, people start to do like, well, what do I do? Where do yes, I go? You know, right. because people need a sense of, of achievement. People need a sense of worth, what you're working towards, you know, because it's, it's not about the end goal. Like people think that happiness is the end goal. It's about finding the happiness in the and doing, in the in the in your daily life, you know, yeah. it's not about winning marriage. It's about staying married. Yeah, it's not about winning the the career. It's about staying in that job and enjoying what you're doing, or you know, enjoying your training or working towards things. You know, yeah. for me in the transition, I had to learn to enjoy the journey and enjoy the tiny little wins. Because are you familiar with Alex Hormozy? No. So he said a quote that that I massively resonated with, and it says. You don't become confident by shouting affirmations in the mirror. You do so by gaining a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. I love that so much. Outwork your self-doubt because you have to repeatedly prove to yourself on a daily basis that you are who you're saying you are. Yeah. Because that is how you become confident. You can't fake confidence by saying I'm this, I'm this, I'm this when you know deep down you're not. So true. And that's why a lot of people say stuff like, oh, don't tell people you're going to do something before mm. you do it because you're not. Because you, you know. convince yourself you've already done it. Yeah. 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 However, for me, if I don't tell you I'm going to do it, I'm not yeah. going to actually action it. Yeah. And you're like holding yourself accountable. Yeah. 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 So I do do that. I'll say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to launch a podcast and yeah. I'll do it. So it, it actually makes me do it. But the, the point is, is that I agree with that entirely. Like some people would never have a reason to get out of bed because- no. They've gone through the school system, come out of it and gone, oh, I don't know what to do. I wasn't particularly academic yeah. or they didn't feel that they were intelligent. Later on, they find out they've got intelligence in multiple ways, but they've got nothing to get out of bed for. So yeah. they self-soothe instead through maladaptive coping styles, whether it's drinking, mm. taking drugs or whatever. And this is where I think things like exercise or sport or, or a job that you, it doesn't have to be an amazing career. I hate no. the emphasis on career. It's more about doing something that gives you a sense yeah. of purpose. Yeah, exactly. Because people put the happiness on external things and it's an inside job. Like you people, you know, whether it's a relationship, you know, if I'm not with you, I'm not happy. 
If yeah. I'm not, if I don't, if I'm not doing that, I'm not happy. And they they attach their identity and their happiness onto other things instead of going. I need to look in the mirror and figure out what it is. Yeah, you know, because I didn't sit with Jess for a long time, and as soon as I did, I crumbled because there was nothing else to distract me. Mm. People live in a world of distractions and filling voids and not yes. not not dealing with the actual pain point. You know, so it's it's James Smith is. Do you know who James Smith? I is? do. I love him. Yeah. So when he talks about the pain point in people when they go to him for personal training and say, right, well, I want a six pack. I want uh, to look good in my bikini for summer. Mm. That is the surface level reason that will not get you out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. The reason that you'll get out of bed is the pain point of the fact that your husband won't have sex with you with the light on. Yes, you're right. Yeah. You know, because yeah. that is what will get you out of bed and will give you the discipline. You're not going to wake up motivated 99% of it's the time. It's that negative positive. Yeah. And I do believe that we can use a negative psychology to create a positive outcome. And and too many people have got that, you know, toxic positivity. Just be happy. Just no, put on yeah, a smile. Yeah, yeah. Actually. You have to do the hard shit. You do. You have to do the really <laughs> hard shit. You do have to do the hard shit. There are days where you will not want to get out of bed mm. and you will not want to go to the gym and you will not want to go to work and you will mm. not want to go even for, I don't know, you won't even want to eat. Yeah. But you know, and this is actually one of my guests, Laura, who came on, she was talking about some things that she'd gone through and she said this, and, and I think this is really good for, you know, to refer to. She said well, she was going through addiction and, and she had no reason to get out of bed. The gym for her was really useful because yeah. if she wanted to go to the gym, she knew she had to eat. Yeah. So actually having the desire to go to the gym gave her a community. It yeah. gave her the motivation to eat, yeah. to look after herself. And that's what people fail to see about going to the gym. I mean, I know gyms are a bit of an alpha environment for a lot of people and I've experienced that myself, but I do go. And I think you've just got to really focus on you, focus on the desired outcome, which I think is always a sense of accomplishment yeah. more than anything else. If you can get out of bed and go to the gym you will first of all feel that you're being consistent. Mm. You will feel more aligned with who you really are because we are designed to move our bodies. You will also get the rush of endorphins, but you'll also know the next day when you feel like you can't get out of bed, actually, that's just a thought. The reality is I can get out of bed, but my thought is maladaptive for whatever reason. So what's going on to affect my thoughts? Yeah, What is it? And you said there you actually eventually sat with Jess Mm. and you allowed that space to be heard and felt. And it was at the time that you really started, you probably did have maladaptive thoughts at the time that were stopping you from being who you really were. I mean, in your case, you were angry or aggressive or whatever. Mm. But actually when you're sitting with yourself and you go, do you know what? Like, I can't keep making these excuses anymore. Mm. I've just got to be either who I really am or I've got to do what I really need to do. Yeah. And you've mentioned the transition thing and it is, it's that transition from running away from yourself yeah. to becoming who you really are. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you've all, you've almost got a transition from who you are to who you want to be. Yeah. You Every know, day. Yeah. All the time. That is the message more than anything else. I can't, yeah. I can't shout it from the rooftops enough. You've got to do the difficult things. Yeah. Which I know you, things. you keep going back to. So now you've done all of that. This is probably a good closing point, actually. But now you've done all of that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, every day could be full of scary things. Yeah. Like driving to Northampton, for example. <laughs> Walking in to meet someone for the first time or whatever. But what's the big thing? 
for you? What's the next big thing that's a little bit scary? Because obviously you've done probably the biggest one, but there must be other things that scare you still. I mean, you know, bumping into my dad in the toilet is still scary for me. You know, that's something that I never thought I would have to do. You I, know? I've not even thought about but that But I've before. never done that. Yeah. So it's the tiny little things that scare me. You know, the big things are never a problem. It's the, it's the tiny little things, you know. Like, that's insane. I've never even considered that. Yeah, just just things that were never before, Yeah. you know, or that like highlight things or whatever. Because I'm so open about everything, but the the little bits of confidence building is hard you know going into a toilet actually i know i said we were closing but that's a big media you yeah, know focus for you was there any uh problems with that that moment in time when you were from you know female toilets i was just toilets? terrified obviously yeah. it's difficult because you know i can't wee standing up so you've always got to wait for the disgusting cubicle yeah i mean that's <laughs> the thing that i think and there's much less in a man's toilet and it stinks and yeah whatever else but the, the thing in the media is safety for women and i'm all up for safety for women of course i am like i used to be one yeah it's not that it's the fact that i can guarantee you people are not going to pretend to be trans to no. assault somebody no um, if they want to walk into a women's toilet to assault someone, a man will. Yeah, you don't have to dress up as a woman yeah. to do that. If they don't do it in the toilet, they will do it somewhere else. Yeah. And it's just a ridiculous point that the media is going, getting on top of and just driving because it's it's the easiest thing to do. Clickbait. To, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's not okay, no. you know, because it's putting trans people at even more risk. And, it seriously is. And I think the people that push that narrative without the... Uh, scope of education yeah and I, I want to say this actually because I often don't say a lot because it, it may not be a, an appropriate time to do it and I mm. always like to have the voice of the person that's got the experience so I can do that properly but for me if you're going to read the Daily Mail and you're going to see something about you know trans people in toilets sexually abusing children from someone that's been sexually abused most people are sexually abused by someone they know yeah. in their own homes if yeah. not a close member of the family so to villainize somebody who's just trying to crack on with their life yeah. and make it feel and seem like that person is going to sexually abuse a child is disgusting number 1 uneducated number 2 and unnecessary number 3 yeah. as you say if someone wants to sexually abuse a child, they're going to do it. Mm. They're going to be a caretaker in the school. Yeah. There could be your dad in your own home. There could be your uncle. There could be your, your dad's best friend. It could be someone that's a teacher. It's not a person just trying to live their life, going into the toilet. Mm. And I think you can always tell. If you go into a toilet, and, and this happens, you know, go, you go into a toilet, there's male cleaners in the toilet. Mm. I've never once thought, I don't know about you, when I've gone into a toilet, there's a male cleaner. He must be a sexually abusive person that no, wants exactly. to be a paedophile and... He's cleaning. He's been yeah. asked to, you could say, oh, well, maybe he's doing that because he wants to sexually abuse children or a woman. Mm. No, he's just cleaning. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> you know, and, and actually yeah. it, it's, it's not okay to do that. It's, it's bullying and it's, it's uneducated yeah. and it's quite People don't agree stupid. with what they don't understand and it, it just escalates and it, they don't realise you know, the, the dangers that they put people in, mm. you know, people, I wouldn't wish transitioning on anyone, No. you know, and like that video we watched before, there wouldn't be anything to transition from if society didn't put physical characteristics on a social, well, gender is so, you know, it's, it's a social thing, isn't it? It's yeah. not, it's not biological. Can we reference that? Cause I was trying to look for that uh, person's name. Is he Micah Valentine? Is that his name? I, I don't know. I'll find it for you. I think it's Micah Valentine. I just Valentine. Sorry, I just want to reference that because that 
video yeah. that you showed me. That was on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. And he did a two or three minute video on the uh, idea of gender. And it's yeah. a really interesting little watch that I think is a game yeah. changer. Yeah. So, so sex and gender are a completely different thing. A lot of people think they're the same thing. So sex is, is, is biologically what you was assigned at birth. Gender is split into your gender expression and your gender identity. Yeah. People's gender expression goes throughout a spectrum, you know, on a daily basis. They yeah. might feel more feminine at times, might feel more masculine at times. They might identify as a woman but present really masculine they might identify as a man but present really feminine whatever it is you know you are a cisgender woman you identify as a, a straight a straight cisgender woman mm. is that correct yes so you identify with the sex you was assigned at birth and that's that your yeah. sexuality is a completely different thing yes. yeah you know but some days you might have masculine energy some yeah. days you might feel more feminine yeah. some days you might look after your um, male partner some days you might want your male partner to look after you yeah you know in terms of different energies and stuff like this people think that gender is biological when really it's just something that society has created and put two different genders on physical characteristics and now everyone's expected to look and act and dress a certain way yeah when what the guy was saying was that people can spend the whole life being intersex and not have a clue because it's not physically visible that you might have part one. Is it to do with chromosomes? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the way that, because I saw a video on this before, it's really difficult to articulate yeah. unless you are a science whiz. Yeah, yeah, because I, I don't want to say anything wrong because I'm not. Because you're not a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. But I know that there is something to do with chromosomes and I know that there's like lots of different combinations of genes and chromosomes that can make a difference to whether yeah. you feel and it's different to the external yeah, presentation. Yeah, a, a lot of it is hormones, which is what he was saying. That's, yeah. that's the reason why every man is not seven foot tall with a massive yes. beard. Yeah. You know, and yeah. every woman isn't petite and, you know, whatever you would describe as really feminine. Yeah. So because everyone is along that spectrum of hormone balances and chromosomes and yeah. whatever else. So it's quite ridiculous to think that the entire population should yeah. fit into two categories of yeah. gender yeah 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 I, or I otherwise totally everyone would be exactly the same yeah and it's it's definitely not like that and I think I, I spoke about this earlier and I spoke about this also in the other podcast so I'm going to speak about it again which is naked attraction <laughs> yeah, yeah I forgot about that <laughs> I'm just a massive fan <laughs> because I, I said to you and I've said it before if you look at all of the genitalia on show mm. and they have people from every spectrum every walk of life right there is no holds barred. It is exactly as you would say society <laughs> is now. And you just look at all the differences in people's bodies. I was talking about boobs, you know, no two sets of boobs are the same. Same with genitalia, you know, vaginas, penises. Um, there's been trans people on as well. So, yeah. you know, and, and I think that you just look and you go, so how how does your vagina look like that? How mm. does your penis look like that? And what we're all so very 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 different. Yeah, and, you know, I was saying earlier about some girls really never develop boobs at all. Yet you see them as a girl, mm. and they may feel like a girl, but they don't look like what the pictures say they should look yeah. like. So th this is the point, isn't it? Is that no one fits into that. A, B category. Yeah, just get rid of the box. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. And we, we had a conversation before about, I get comments things with people saying, well, you make, you're going to make me a lesbian. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not, a le you know, you're not a lesbian. Like 
people, you don't look at someone and immediately think, I wonder what their genitalia is like. And that's why I fancy them. You know, no. if you've got a connection or um, that that energy with someone, that's all it is. You know, for, for a straight woman, do I make you feel feminine? Do you feel like I'm masculine? Is that energy around you? Do I make you feel that way? Do you fancy me as a man? Do you feel like, you know, all of that, everything else goes out the window. Yeah. And if anything, it's me who's more insecure throughout the fear of someone thinking they're with a girl when actually that's my own imposter syndrome thinking, Yes. this is not okay. But to everybody else, you know, in my experience, the whole concept of genitalia goes out the window. Whereas before meeting a trans person and feeling that connection, they would have thought, no, I couldn't. Yeah. Because your immediate thought is genitalia. Because you don't know anyone because no one's having the conversations. No one's being visible. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you see people, the more you realise that you're probably more fluid than you realise yourself. Yeah, exactly. And you, cause you can't stop it happening. If you've got that energy with someone, You're you're not thinking, you know, if someone met me now and had no idea and there's that, that and that chemistry yeah. between two people yeah that's not gonna go just because i tell you my experience yeah yeah, yeah. you can fight it all you want that's fine but it's not going to go away and for a lot of people that opens people's eyes yes because they realize actually it doesn't make me a lesbian or it doesn't make me whatever yeah it, because it's not about the body part at all it's not and and you've done quite a lot of um well i've seen you do i don't know if you've done quite a lot but i've seen a lot of your pictures where you've done some modeling and stuff yeah What's been the feedback? And I'm, I'm interested actually in in that kind of flirty feedback as well <laughs> that you might have got through through Instagram or TikTok. What's been the feedback there? Um, I mean, I get amazing. I make I get incredible feedback in that sense. You know, of course, I get the abuse, but I get a hell of a lot of positivity in terms of TikTok. You know, and half that crowd is women putting fire emojis, and half that crowd is parents thanking me for what I'm doing. So. You know, for me, that's that's incredible because all I want to do is help people with their own lives, whether that's people going through a transition or experiencing something difficult in their life. But it's also massively affirming to me that I'm starting to look how I've always wanted to look. Yeah. And I'm achieving that those dreams and making that happen and proving that, you know, you can be who you want to be. You just have to be willing to put in the effort, whether that's going to the gym or making that big, huge step with whatever it means. And and that alone, just knowing that, you know, and this will be important for a lot of people to hear, I think, that have gone through what you've gone through is that, you know, on TikTok, you're getting those fire emojis. Because let's face yeah, it, that is something you said earlier, like what will relationships look like? Let's be terrified. real. I was terrified. I, but, thought, I thought no one would ever want to be in a relationship with me again because I just felt like a freak. Yeah. And now you're like TikTok hot stuff. But that doesn't mean that I still don't feel terrified. You know, I still panic when I'm naked sometimes that whoever I'm with is going to wake up and think I'm with a girl. But that's that's my fear. Yeah. You know, and and people tell me like, that's ridiculous. I would never think that, you know, you're a man in every sense of the word. Yeah. But for me, obviously that's dysphoria for me and I struggle with that. But that's something internally that I... I'm working with and you know it's just about keep layering those layers that keep layering that pain mm. and building your own confidence and proving that you are capable of what you're saying you're capable of yeah. and keep doing the little things the hard things every day and just yeah. keep keep climbing because you the more you layer it the more you build that confidence and you don't need anyone else's validation so true and I think what you just said there I asked you a question earlier about what was the scary stuff still and I guess that's it isn't it is yeah. the scary stuff is your dysphoria 
yeah, the stuff that goes on internally. Actually, it's probably less to do with what other people think. Because like you said, you've got to a place where you're like, oh, I'll just sod yeah, off. Yeah, no. It's the internal. It's, it's what you think about yourself, isn't yeah. it? It's, I think that's the, I think that's always the scariest thing yeah. for anybody. Yeah, Because that's what people are scared to do. The people are scared to sit and feel their own emotions. Yeah. And I still struggle with that. You know, I'll, not, I'll always be someone who struggles with anxiety or, you know, struggles with feeling whatever I'm feeling mm. in terms of, because it affects everything. It affects relationships, affects everything. Yeah, yeah. So there'll always be parts of me that struggles or gets insecure or whatever. It's not about banishing that. It's about building on your own self-love and self-worth and realizing that if you don't look inside yourself, then you're not going to get anywhere. And I always say, you know, I spent 28 years looking for something. I found it myself. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's beautiful. So that's that's all you can say really I think <laughs> it's incredible and I kind of want to just say at the end of all of this because there is so much in terms of information that we've spoken about so something that we discussed before this was that we're going to have in the coming months so depending on when someone's listening to this mm. it will be either out already or not and we're going to do a bit of a drive on our social medias aren't we we're going to do some courses together which We'll cover these subjects that we've spoken about today. Some of it will be about trauma, self-abandonment, authenticity. So I kind of want to just let people know that this year, in a couple of months, that's going to be available, but to sort of look out for social media. So on that note, what is... Want me and Ella to change your life? Come on down. (laughs) (laughs) This is the prize. (laughs) But what's your social media so that people can find you? Because I think you should be found. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, my Instagram, and my TikTok, are Jack's Rider Feely and my podcast is Live Your Truth. Amazing, which is a phenomenal podcast with um, Thomas Hartley. <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I've got a couple of regular co-hosts. I am going to start um, getting guests on it hopefully when I've got the time. But And Thomas yeah. Hartley is a character, isn't he? I love him so much. <laughs> yeah. I, for some of you, you might recognise his name because he's from Maths UK, yeah. isn't he? And he's certainly a character and he's hilarious and he's thought provoking and he manages to be everything all in one package. Yeah. Yeah. He's a beautiful soul. Yeah. I, I think yeah. your chemistry together is, oh. <laughs> is brilliant. Yeah. We, we definitely came in each, into each other's lives at a good time. Um, as his program first came on the TV and I'd seen him a couple of times, he found me on Instagram wow. and commented on, I think one of my like photos saying- Didn't you like, do a photo shoot together? Yeah, to tack to tackle toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, we we did a, like a raunchy photo shoot because to to, to make people have those conversations. So yeah. although it looked like a gay, sexy photo shoot, obviously like I'm a straight man, but we have a friendship that is, you know, we we love each other. Like we, I, I think he's brilliant, and I'd do anything for him. And we wanted to highlight the fact that when women are in scary situations or nervous or something, they'll hold each other's hand or they'll, you know, they'll provide each other that support, like emotional or physical or whatever. Why can't men do that? Yeah, I love it. Why can I not hold your hand down the street because you're feeling anxious? Yeah. You know, why can't I do that? Because this is, that that to me is the definition of toxic masculinity. You know, I'm not, I'm not against masculinity and feeling that and owning that and the historic feelings of of being you know having that masculine energy i'm not against that what i'm against is men can't cry men can't feel their emotions men can't support one another men are committing suicide yeah because of that reason it's the biggest killer in men under 35 isn't it yeah so why can't we have those conversations and that's what what, it was to make people go oh what it's always just gay now 
Yeah, really, no. really start the narrative again. Yeah, yeah, because it just makes people go, what, what? And because it's just a, it's just a thought and then it makes people look into it more and go, actually, no, this mm. is it. Mm. So, yeah, we like causing a bit of... A bit of uh, bit of chaos. You said it earlier. You do like. Oh, I cause chaos once a year. Yeah, I'll have them sat. I'll have them sat around the dining room table again soon, telling them something else. <laughs> that should be your middle lane. You know, you've got Jack's rider feeling. Should be Jack's chaos feeling. I know. I know. <laughs> but the best but, kind of chaos because it is it's impacting people's lives. So I hope so. I hope so. It it's is. Nice I think it's been a phenomenal insight into not just the transition experience, but resilience, discipline, courage, vulnerability, authenticity, the prison life as well, which is interesting to know that for you, that has actually been a safe space that's allowed you to be you, contrary to what people might think and how that service has supported you. But also all of those kind of nuances that, I mean, people are talking about them, I guess, but I wanted to have more of this type of conversation with you. Cause I think those nuances, those tiny things that you said there, you know, about people doing this as a consistent, not a campaign, yeah. not a special month, having consistent conversations with each other. Yeah. Just embed those values into yeah. society. And that's how we, that's how we change one person at a time. And listen, cause I think you're, you know, and I will wrap this up now, but I think one of the things that I think is really interesting about you is you're so easy to listen to. You're funny oh, thank you. and you're sweet and you're <laughs> humble. And if people come out of this conversation thinking, I still don't like, you know, transgender people or whatever, yeah. I'd be massively surprised. Yeah. But like I said to you before, you know, if someone's being not very nice, I can give you the information in the right way mm-hmm. uh, without jumping down your throat. And mm-hmm. if you then take that away and you change your mindset, then that's amazing. I've changed the mindset. But if you continue to be an asshole, then you're an asshole. That is and the quote of the day. That is up to you. <laughs> that's, that's all I can do. You know? <laughs> I love it. Um, but no, I appreciate your kind words. Thank you. So I'm, I'm probably going to, we'll, we'll certainly do some more work together. People will see more of us. There will be stuff available for you to purchase if you are interested in delving into mm. this even further. And we will get you on my podcast at some yes, point. Yes, <laughs> definitely will. I, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. I will be there and we'll talk all about this podcast yeah. <laughs> on your podcast will say everything we said but I feel bad for not asking you about you no never yeah. feel bad about that I yeah. loved this this is like a gift for me and you traveled so far to be here that I'm so appreciative of it as well <laughs> like it was um how long did it take only a couple of hours only a couple of hours yeah. well it's still it's still time out of your day to so appreciate it yeah and on yeah. that note we shall say to our love thank you <laughs> <laughs> <In> a bit <laughs>